So today we're going to talk about the indoor air quality industry. I wanted to chat with you about it, Eric, because you've sort of seen the evolution of it. Can you just maybe discuss when mold entered the scene for the indoor air quality profession? Well, from about uh, 1985, when the sick building syndrome was coined by the World Health Organization, and this term first started to be uh, publicized, the culprits for indoor air quality were all chemicals, legionnaires disease, um, various strains of bacteria. Uh, carpet fumes were a huge, flame retardants in carpets were a huge culprit. And they focused on this so much that it actually leaves a record of the conspicuous absence of mold. Wasn't even on the radar. They, they weren't discussing it at all. In fact, a few um, attempts to try to bring it up. Oh no, mold is just an allergy. And this continued until the mid 1990s when Ruth Etzel and the uh, Cleveland uh, Pulmonary Hemorrhage and in Infants Incident really publicized toxic mold, Stachybotrys, the dreaded black mold. Uh, up until that point, there was literally nothing in the media about mold being a problem in buildings. So uh, that's kind of the, the evolution of it. And that shows that, no, they didn't always know about mold. They didn't, they weren't aware of toxic mold. It, uh, it was so well documented that they didn't know about it, that it's amazing that you can show people all the 1985 to 1995 documents and people go, no, mold is in the Bible. So they always knew about it. Yeah. Try to find a doctor who ever told you about it. Did your family believe you? When, when you got sick from mold, um, how many of your friends believed you? So really, um, the indoor air quality movement rejected mold when it was first proposed to them because mold was considered to be either the province of allergists or, in the case of um, aspergillus, an infection. No, nothing to do with toxicity. So they rejected. They didn't want it. They actually fought to keep um, mold out of the indoor air quality paradigm because indoor air quality means indoor air and mold is outdoors. It can be anywhere. So it made no sense. And it was really fascinating to me that when they finally grudgingly accepted it because so many people talked about mold making them sick in, inside that they built up this legend about indoor air, indoor mold is toxic, but outdoor mold is not. As if somehow this horrible mold that's making you so sick was strictly inside. And the moment you walk out the door, it turns harmless. I go, people are going to see there's something wrong with this picture. This idea that you can compare counts and species of indoor mold to outdoor mold and make a determination on whether your place is sick or not by the difference, it's ridiculous. And people will see through that so quickly because they'll realize that if you have a nasty mold colony outside, that could be the source of it. <laughs> so it could be drifting in and the counts would be less inside. And therefore, that philosophy, that test of going, well, it's uh, higher outside than inside. So therefore, it's not your problem. People would question it. And um, the whole history of how mold came to be a problem known to the indoor air quality profession 
would cause a reconsideration of why it was put there, when this paradigm emerged, and what mold is actually doing. But it never did. So before mold, the IAQ indoor air quality industry was more concerned about chemicals and bacteria, endotoxins? Yeah, the um, Philadelphia Legionnaire's disease incident of 1976 is what really put the hazards of a ventilation system and indoor air quality on the map, but that also brought the focus on bacteria. So once they thought, well, they didn't know it was Legionnaires for like a year or two after that. It took a while to figure it out. But once they realized that Legionella, they actually had to create a name for a newly discovered bacteria. Once they realized this was a problem, then they would go, okay, what else is a problem? What other species of bacteria? Staph, strep, um, various uh, mycobacteria. So that was actually the focus in the years prior to the discovery of mold and was used as a reason not to look into mold because there was nothing in the literature about mold. So if they have something in the literature about bacteria, well, then that's how they wanted to keep it. That's super odd because um, we're seeing this this new idea explode on the internet. Oh, you can now test for bacteria in your home and now bacteria is the problem. It's not the mold. So they basically have gone full circle with history. Yeah, it seems like every couple of years you can rediscover something and start all over again as if nothing was in the old documents. But uh, actinomycetes have been extensively studied for over 100 years. In fact, they're used in the production of antibiotics. We get many useful compounds from them. And so a lot of work has gone into studying the toxins and the health effects of actinomycetes. And to act like this has never been looked at before is utterly absurd. You can just Google it up and see how much is known about it. I know Nico's thinking um, the the IAQ industry is just basically using people's ignorance against them and are saying, hey, this is a new problem that you need to watch out for. Here's these new tests that you need to spend hundreds of dollars on to try to figure out when the IAQ industry has always known about this and this is how it actually started. It started with chemicals and bacteria and now it's the bacteria and it's not the mold. Yeah, I had really believed that there were good researchers out there that uh, were diligent and were interested in their subject matter. So when um, certain things stand out as a problem, they will take more interest, not less interest. But that's not exactly what they do. They don't examine the old materials. They don't go back in history and look to see what's already known. It's like every day they're acting like they've discovered something brand new that's never been thought of before. So what's the motivation? Why why is this happening? Like, why are they doing this to people and, and saying that mold is, well, it's mostly shoemakers saying, well, mold is 7% the problem and bacteria is more of a problem. Why make this full circle? Why do this? Oh, I've been trying to figure that out. Makes no sense to me. Um, why not look back in the literature? Why not avail ourselves of what, what's already been known? Why present this as if there's no history to it? And I can only think that it's done for market share, that people feel if they can present something like, sounds like it's brand new, 
they make a bigger splash and they get everybody to pay attention and they get everybody all jacked up about whatever it is they're doing. And people have even less inclination to just go back in the old literature and see what's already known. So yeah, follow the money. Interesting. Keely, do you have any thoughts or questions? Sorry, I've been a little bit distracted because Nico wants to be your co-host, Eric and Alicia, so bad. He cannot stand it. He keeps popping up every which way to be part of this conversation. He's welcome. He's gonna be he's gonna be <laughs> passing you're gonna pass the baton on to him of exposing mold. So he, he needs to know. <laughs> now that he's been betrothed. I don't know. I have a lot of questions. Um about all of this really it just the whole thing is questionable right like all of this when you look at it it's all questionable like what the actual hell is going on here is my question (laughs) because we're in this really weird situation as an organization who's trying to do what we're doing and kind of fill in the blanks with people so that they don't have to get chased down these Sorry, I'm so distracted because he's touching everything. So they don't fall into these rabbit holes as they're chasing these answers and spin in circles about what is actually going on. And so many people really do now believe that their true actual problem is actinomycetes because Shoemaker is the father of mold illness and the information that he's putting out. So it really just only takes a simple glance at the establishment of the indoor air quality profession to see that that's actually going backwards. So my bigger question is, other than what the hell is going on, is why are people so disinterested in hearing the information that connects the dots for them that could help them get the answers they're looking for to the point that they fight against it? It almost seems to me like as an organization, because we're putting out something that other people aren't talking about. And by that, I mean, if we ever get to be to the point where we can share Eric's theory, we're trying to help them make sense of this. And it just angers them. And it gives me the sense of like, we're a little bit too ahead of our time. And it just really pisses people off. So what's going on with society that people would prefer to stay sick than accept any kind of explanation or information or second glance at history? to the point that it would be beneficial and give them the answers that they say they're looking for. It's, it's just like Eric says, it really is like living in the twilight zone. Yeah. You know, um, this assertion that, uh, the focus on toxic mold, mycotoxins was a mistake. And now the real issue is actinomycetes is essentially throwing it in the face of all the mold testing, all the mold experts, everything they've said for decades, that they're all wrong. They're completely wrong. They were somehow when they were speciating mold, when they were looking through the microscopes, when they were doing the PCR tests, they all screwed up and completely overlooked the actinomycetes that was getting in their way. What, they shove it out of the, oh, no, I don't want to find this stupid uh, filamentous actinomycetes bacteria, you know, I, I want to find mold, so I'll just ignore that no matter how many times it keeps cropping up. It's really saying that everybody, everybody that ever did anything with mold is a screw up. And I would I thought, oh well, if you kind of implied that all the mold testing was wrong, flawed, misleading, and 
causing people to be sick and chase their tails and more confused. This is going to bring up some massive debate. People are going to go, what the hell is going on here? And it didn't. So that's my question, is how did such a massive reversal, such a shift in focus, how did it not cause massive reverberations throughout society, through the mold expert industry, to question what, what's going on here? It was just like dead silence. So that's what we see from society towards all kinds of different paradigms. When something challenges their, their worldview, their perspective, you just kind of let it slide and ignore it, maybe thinking it'll go away. It doesn't. So this confusion leaves them wide open to be preyed on by people who hype up the next hot thing in the news to, to sell. And it's a, it's a real shame, but I'm not sure what to do about it. Um, I, As you guys are talking, I was thinking about our conversation with... Um, what was that guy's name who discussed the sewage sludge? Do oh, you remember? Lewis. Lewis, David Lewis, yeah. Yeah, Dr. David Lewis. And he was working for the EPA as like this hotshot head guy. And he was blowing the whistle on the sewage sludge. And he was talking about his laboratory examinations and how he was able to get rid of, you know, the bacteria pretty easy. But the the mold, the the fungus was doing some weird stuff. And then he talked about his situation getting sick by the hay, by the horses. And it, it's just really interesting to me because the EPA ended up firing him, right? They just got rid of him. And then he went back and sued them because it was a wrongful termination. So it's like, is there this massive like cover-up happening from the top? And then it trickles down to these IAQ professionals. Are they working together to try to keep everything confusing and, and, oh, you know, let's do our best to keep trying to hide the mold for as long as we can before we have to say something and address it as a major problem. Yeah, uh, they really are. Because if you think of what an expert does, they're interested in their subject matter. If something stands out, they're like, wow, that's really cool. I want to look into it. And Stacky Bodris stood out in a really huge way. I mean, bleeding lung disease, uh, neurological problems, shutting off immune response. That's like cool stuff that ought to get somebody's attention. So why, when presented with this, would a researcher, somebody who's, that's their subject, that's their very reason for being in the profession, go, oh, no, all molds are the same. That doesn't matter. Don't attach. Saki Botris must have a really good press agent. But don't think of it as anything important. Let's just consider blue cheese dressing and aspergillus niger and Kool-Aid, you know, let's, let's all think of it as the same. What on earth are they doing? Why would they do that? Ruth Etzel and Dora Dearborn searched for more cases of lung bleeding and um, arterial uh, remodeling from Saki Botchers found it. Evidence of immune dysfunction found it. How could anybody who claims to be a mold expert look at that and go, oh, no, you know, all, all mold is the same. And besides, you can't say toxic mold anyway, because mold is toxigenic. And it's not always producing toxins. So you're not saying it right. You're not uh, talking about the right molds. You're attaching importance to something. And you shouldn't do that when you should consider this to be confusing toxic soup. Why are they doing this? Are they crazy? Or are they doing it for the money? Do they sell out? And some of these people, they don't appear to be 
overly stupid. I mean, in other regards, they look like they have at least average intelligence. So for them to act in the exact opposite way to what you would expect from a, a normal researcher raises my suspicions that they have an alternate agenda. Yeah, it's really interesting because we see all these people who have had um, put their focus on stacky botchers, like you said, Ruth Etzel, Dor Dearborn, and then they were next. Um, David Lewis trying to talk about the sewage sludge and what's going on in that. He was next. Um, you said William Croft was pushed out of the IAQ groups. Dr. Vincent Marinkovich, who no one even talks about Dr. Mold. And he was looking into trichothecine mycotoxins way back in the 90s. And it's like all these people, Cheryl Harding, Dr. <laughs> Cheryl Harding and, and her work in Stachybotrys and discovering that the skeletons are just as toxigenic as, as the mycotoxin. And then her NIH grant fund gets nixed. Um, who knows how long we will be able to talk about this until we get nixed. <laughs> you know, it's like we already have a growing uh, repertoire of haters that don't like us speaking the truth because it's affecting their businesses, their whatever they have going on. So it's like you can see through history people who do focus in on stachybotrys, trichothecine mycotoxins, something always happens to them where they stop. Their career gets halted. Um, they're in trouble for something. They're made to look like they're crazy or whatever. So it's just, it's an interesting thing. And we want to bring this to the attention of our audience because we're seeing these social media influencers, these other mold experts, let's say they want to help you, but then they're saying everything is toxic. You know, they say, yeah, mold's toxic, but it's your air fresheners. It's your detergents. It's your, don't, what did Dr. Niagru, um, the environmental chemist, tell us when we interviewed him? Don't eat, don't breathe, don't drink the water in order to survive. <laughs> it's like, how are people sanely operating their lives these days when the messages that you're seeing on your social media channel is, this is bad, that is bad, this is bad, when we have this agent that's really sticking out as something that is major, and we have seen in patients, if they're able to avoid this particular agent, they don't really have a lot of problems with the, the multi, multiple chemical sensitivities. Their food allergies go away. It's like, it's just such a weird situation that we're in. And I hope that, as Keely said, as an organization, we can continue providing this information to you guys, this message, and and help you sort of decipher and go through the information yourself to see, okay, should I be living in a cave um, in the middle of nowhere? Or can I live normally? And how can I do it without being scared of every little thing? Yeah, I was considered, I, I was very fortunate because I tangled with toxic mold before there were any mold experts. So I really attached importance to this one specific thing, which is exactly what David Lewis described. This, this mold that got in the bales of hay and affected him so severely compared to everything else that if you, you, I just asked doctors, if I pay attention to this one thing, kind of ignore everything else, what, what would happen? They, well, that'll never work because everything's toxic. You're, it's just toxic overload. It's just toxic too. And I go, well, I remember this was my first real problem so I'm going to be very narrow and specific on paying attention to this one 
particular thing, and we'll see what happens. The next thing you know, I'm out climbing mountains. Which is almost unheard of for people who get sick because it's like once you're once you're past a certain point of sickness, it's so hard to get clear and to even have the energy to go for a little walk, let alone climb a mountain. But then when you tell people this information, then they get upset. You tell them, okay, maybe if you try to focus in on this, hey, why not try it, you know? Yeah, we have to take into account the sociology of the situation. People have already decided, they've made up their minds what they want to hear. And if the message doesn't match what they're expecting, it makes them angry. They just start yelling, like, what monitor can I buy? What test can I buy? What supplement can I take? And they don't. You know, it is, it really is at its root a sociological problem because people to a certain extent are brainwashed is probably a harsh term, but I don't have a substitute term to use, but I do feel like people are kind of brainwashed by modern medicine because for an environmental problem, they're not asking, what do I not know about my environment and how can I get that information? They're asking, what can I take for my body? Or even if they are asking exactly which test to use, they don't, I'm going to mute. Well, it seems to me that rather than leave this um, desperate, horrible situation in the hands of opportunists and high-priced specialist mold experts, we should lean on all of our major institutes, our mainstream doctors and researchers, get them involved so they can fight about it. And we can achieve some kind of consensus on this. Well, that's what you've been doing for so long. You've been trying to knock on their doors and um, say, hey, let's let's work together here. I have some information that maybe you you have the tools. I have the information. You have the tools. Let's work together and try to figure out what's going on. But they sort of left it on the table for the functional medicine doctors and the consultants and the opportunists to fight over. Um, so they can give their pieces of information. And I think people think that, oh, this doctor has 50,000 followers. They must know what they're talking about. But really, at the end of the day, they're really just trying to make money and sell you crap. Of all the that doctors really- that we've <laughs> talked to, how many of them have actually understood what we were describing? Well, I think that we we have a lot of them have revealed themselves that they themselves are hypersensitives and they deal what we deal with, but they don't publicly talk about what they struggle with or they don't want to be honest about it. Um, and so I think that they know from a personal standpoint because they, they need the information to live, but from a professional standpoint, they want to sell all the potions and lotions and books and webinars. Um, that are, that's completely different than what they're using for their own health. And I get that they want to make money and they want to do what they need to do in order to survive. But think of how many people that you're damaging, you know, how many people that they're misleading with this information. I see something a little different. I, and I, I don't, I don't think that we've ever talked to any doctor that's really gotten it because they've all argued with us. <clears throat> on some of the main points that we've had to follow that has kept us alive. <laughs> That's true. That's, that is true. Um, and again, I think it, I think it's just a deception. What do you think, Eric? Do you think they really don't understand or do you think it's a deception? 
Well, you know, they act so nice and innocent and good and helpful that it's hard to accept that they're actually being deceitful. So the only way I could really tell is by going to these symposiums and hanging out with them and seeing them, how they interact with people, what they do, how they react to uh, contaminated objects. And then I could get a sense that they really do understand, but they're not being fully forthcoming about their own situation and what this paradigm is really like. Like at the 2015 uh, Phoenix SIRS conference, there were people there claiming that um, an air filter, a special brand of air filter, could solve all the problems in a room. And then I saw that they would react to somebody who was contaminated, turn around and run. And I saw them walking the perimeter of the room, checking for plumes, for source points. I'm going, yeah, you're using your senses, and you know damn well that the air filter in the middle of the room isn't going to do anything about this contaminated person that walked up next to you. So they're being hypocritical. Do you think they're they're scared of the truth? Do you think there's like a level of fear that if I try to come out and talk about this stuff, people will think I'm crazy? No, I don't see them as... Uh, fearful of being thought of as, as crazy or wrong because there's so many, there, there's so many people describing this now. You know that if you talk about this level of reactivity, there are many people in, in mold groups who will know exactly what you're talking about. So why do they want to twist things in favor of an easy cure or an air filter or a supplement? Money. <laughs> it's because they... It, it's not profitable to tell people what this paradigm is really like. Got it. You know, one of our most popular reels on our social media is um, a guy laughing at another guy. And it says when, um, I don't know, what did I say? When my mold inspector doesn't believe me, doesn't believe that I can feel the mold behind the wall over there. Like my reaction, it's a point of view real. I mean, we've had like, Jesus, thousands of people comment and thousands of people engage and watch it. I think, I don't know, 50,000 people have viewed it. And so that's really telling information for me that there are so many people that are dealing with this that don't understand what they're dealing with. And we're sort of putting, putting a name on it. And people are starting to understand that, wow, there's a group that actually understands me and what I'm going through. I'm, I'm not crazy after all. I can feel these things. You know, I'm, I'm a hypersensitive person. So we have such a huge population that's, being, is, that's not being served because a lot of these professionals don't understand or don't want to talk about it because there is no profit in it. Yeah, and they definitely see us as a threat to their, their sales to what they, they want to promote. So that's why we're getting some really harsh criticism. I don't think we've said anything all that controversial or weird. It's just that um, they don't like it because it threatens their bottom line. I'm wondering how we all can work together instead of it being us versus them. It's like, how do we, how do we work with you to change what, we have currently because it's not meeting the needs of the population. Um, you know, and, and that this is what I think about all the time because I don't want to sit here and have enemies. I don't want to sit here and have to bicker and fight with people for attention or whatever, or I don't want to sit here 
and have to make you look like a bad person. I, I want to help change the system of what we have going on and what can we do and can we work together? Are these people open to working together? And it's been hard. It's We've been doing this for how long already? And we've three years and we've reached out to people and we've been trying to work with them to incorporate the history for them to want to look at uh, CFS and what's been going on there because it sort of gives you all the information once you follow the history of what's been happening and, and they just turn their backs on us. So I wonder if 2024, we can make a shift and this is sort of a CTA for those that are out there that are providing information, um, you know, like we want to work with you. Like, what can we do to work together so that way you can continue business and we can continue being honest and providing helpful information? Do you think it's possible, Eric Keeley? <laughs> I don't think it's possible because if you're fo- calling out the shortcomings of whatever it is, if it's a test or a supplement and you're explaining why that's not really the answer and why that doesn't work. And furthermore, how it could actually work against people. That is so threatening to the people who are making money off of that, that they're not going to say, oh yes, let me work with you so that you can tell everyone the true insights about this that I don't even want to think about and that I'm actively hiding so that I can keep selling this stuff. They're not going to just say, oh, let me just sacrifice all my profits so that I can be in alignment with you. And I think that's the snowballing of our organization growing a little bit in popularity, clashing against that refusal, I think is kind of where we're at. And one thing that I've noticed is we do have a tendency to kind of like just avalanche people out of our way. So I guess I'm not saying this is like a threat, maybe a little bit of a warning. Like I would say get with the program or get buried under an avalanche of snow because that's our track record so far. We, um, we've called out a lot of frauds that have had to kind of like back down from arguing with us because they come from a losing position, but we haven't had any of those same type of companies or personalities or people circle back to us and then say, you know what, we really want to work with you because we want to be on the right side of this. That's it. For anybody to work with us, they're going to have to develop a serious case of integrity. And I don't see that happening. Kaylee, what's the biggest thing that you um, had posted last year? Things that can't be hidden, the sun, the moon, and the truth, or what was that? Uh, that's like some Buddhist quote or something. Yeah, three things that can't be hidden long, the sun, the moon, and the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and that's sort of, that's that's where we're at right now. You know, we're breaking through, we're, we're, we're agitating, we're that the agitator in the, in the laundry, you know. We're, but we're I do have to point it. out why... Okay, I just answered my own question and thought form. I was going to say, why does everyone hate us for exposing the truth? And it's that they see us as agitators and bullies for disrupting the status quo because they're not seeing what's beyond that, I think. And that's okay. And I mean, when you look at history, that's usually what has happened, right? It makes me think of another quote. I think it was from Gandhi about how you come up with an idea, then people are against you, and then and then people eventually get on board with you. So, what's that in- quote Eric says about doctors? Like first they, oh Schopenhauer, yeah, the stages of truth. Yeah, you know, first they um, 
uh, make fun of you and then they fight you and then they, then it was their idea, that kind of thing. <laughs> That's what's happening. This, sorry about that. I got a phone call. The same people who are calling us bullies are taking Eric's ideas of surface energy and, and teaching them to other people, which is hilarious. Like, I guess it's fine when they say it. <laughs> well, it's a new year, 2024. Um, a lot of big changes in our lives, especially for me. And um, I'm, I'm really excited to see where Exposing Mold goes this year with us two um, us three on board here and kicking butt. And I just am super excited to just be with you guys and providing this information, despite how much backlash, despite how much people hate me for speaking the truth. Like I'm not going to stop. I don't care. Um, and it's going to be an exciting year. We've grown a really good following. Our podcast is doing really awesome. And uh, let's see what happens. Maybe we can make amends with some people. Maybe we can make some changes. And that's really the goal here is to try to make some changes so that way people can get research information. We can get the right people on board to start looking into this so people can get help. So, Eric Keeley, do you have any final words for our audience? Not me. (laughs) Well, I love you guys so much. And I know that you know that. And to our followers, thank you so much for seeing through the bullshit and uh, sticking it out with us. We have more to come, more exciting things to come this year. So just stay tuned and um, check us out. We're restarting our blog. So feel free to subscribe to our newsletter. I'll post that in the comments there. If you like what we do, or if you're a person that is tired of suffering and you want more information about toxic mold and sensitivities and how to manage them, We do have a private group that you can go ahead and check out. I'll also put that in the comments section. And we are a 501c3 organization. We run on donations. So again, if you like what we do and you want to align with our organization, feel free to donate to exposingmold.org. We're in the process of uh, changing our website to make it a lot easier for you guys to navigate. So those changes will come shortly. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next time. We want to thank you for listening. Just sending a friendly reminder that what we say is not intended as medical advice, but information to expand your thinking surrounding common situations and issues within the mold community. If you like what we do, please support us by making a donation in the link in our show notes. We also provide one-on-one consultations, products to help with symptom management that you can find in our shop, and a private membership group filled with a supportive community of peers working together to heal from toxic mold. As a friendly reminder, Exposing Mold is a 501c3 nonprofit and every donation is tax deductible. Thank you so much for your support and we look forward to providing you with the most honest information out there on mold and mold issues. Please visit exposingmold.org for more information. 